Christmas. Did everyone open gifts this morning or are you waiting till you get home to open gifts? Okay, that was a mistake. I had the greatest gift you could have this morning. I slept in. You're clapping, but sleeping in at my house is 6.30. The alarm, the alarm went off and I just looked over and I said, I'm going to give myself 30 extra more minutes. Merry Christmas to me. Then I had another gift, coffee. I'm convinced that that accompanied the manna in the wilderness was coffee. And, and not just any coffee, Dunkin' Donuts coffee, of course. I don't know about that Starbucks coffee that you all have money to go and buy, but I got to send kids to college. Then the kids got up and we opened a couple of gifts. And by a couple, I mean 30 or 40 of their gifts. So that's about a quarter of their gifts. Last night, Nana brought over some gifts, their gifts for the children. And uh, I went out into the garage and I brought in a box and I was carrying it in like this. And Stephanie said, all right, don't forget the other three. I had to go back to the garage. I'm not even exaggerating. Felt guilty about the third box. But you know... That's what Christmas is about. It's about giving gifts. You can't stop a grandmother from giving gifts to her grandchildren. Amen. <laughs> you can't stop God from giving good gifts either. He's the type of God who gives gifts. I think sometimes we try to get God to conform to the image of the God we want him to be. It's always easier to preach and talk about guilt and punishment and wrath because those are our real motivators. I was talking with Stephanie last night. We were just talking about how to discipline children. And at this age, there's really only two options. You can either motivate them with gifts or you can threaten them with retribution, punishment. And I begin to think, it's not that different for us. It's not that different for us as adults. We're either motivated by fear that we're going to lose our job or we're motivated by having a really, really good job and being able to earn something with those jobs. But God takes away both in the person of Jesus Christ. He takes away the incentive to earn something and he takes away the fear of condemnation because God will be from first to last the author and finisher of our salvation. I've been thinking a lot about what I would preach on this morning and the word message just kept coming up gospel and message and so I decided that the best thing to do would be to just lay out this morning in the simplest way I know how the message of the gospel I broke it down into three points and these are the points I want to talk about this morning number one that God has come to earth that God has given us a gift of salvation and our choice in the matter. Would you pray with me this morning?
Lord, many of us today will gather around a Christmas tree. And under that Christmas tree will be gifts. Under that Christmas tree will be expensive gifts. Under that Christmas tree will be hard-earned money. A way to say to the people in our life, we love you by giving gifts. Lord, we're very grateful for that. But it's around the manger and not the Christmas tree. But the greatest gift of all has been given to us. It's important, Lord, that you impress upon the hearts of everyone in here just how bad our situation really is. Just how dark this world really is. Just how cold this world really is. Just how serious the nature of our sin truly is. So that, Lord, we will feel the force of the light which we are seeing in Christ and which is shown on all men and the darkness has not overcome so that we might be grateful for the gift of your Son. Holy Spirit, work in the hearts of men today. Work in the hearts of women and children today with the message of your word. And do only what you can do, which is give us second birth. Jesus, we praise you as true God of God and true man. The Savior and substitute, we praise you, Lord, our Lord and our God. Amen. God came to earth. God came to earth. Matthew 1.23, the angel told Joseph this, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. There's a lot of things that the angel could have said at that moment, but he chose to say, give him this name, we will call him Emmanuel, also Jesus, for he will save his people. But Emmanuel, God with us. Now this is not the type of God that you see at some of our local pagan sorcery shops. It's carved out of graven images. This is the type of God who the Holy Spirit conceived in a virgin 2,000 years ago in real life to dwell with His people in flesh. You can't box this God in unless this God chooses to box Himself in. And this God has chosen to box Himself in in the form of of the baby in a manger, the form of sinful flesh. Colossians 2.9 says this, it says, For in Him, that is Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. All that is God dwells bodily in Jesus. Hebrews 1.3 says it this way, He is, that is Jesus, the radiance of, of the glory of God 
and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. The Christmas holiday confronts all of us in a radical way. The baby in the manger is the condemnation of human flesh. And it is the condemnation of man's ability to save himself. Romans 8, 3 and 4 says this. For God has done, not man, not you, not a priest, not a prophet, for God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin He condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. God has come to earth. Can't be any other way. A lot of us here maybe in our college courses or perhaps on the History Channel or maybe even a conversation on Facebook or on blogs that we read that Jesus was a wise teacher, that He has a lot to offer us about how to live a good life. But if we get rid of this one fact... One historical fact that God has come to earth, we untie the knot, the chain that links us to salvation. We must affirm that God has come to earth. The baby in the manger that we all love to look at in this season, in the nativity scene, was God doing what the law weakened by the flesh that is you and I could never have done and what is it that we couldn't do Paul says it is fulfill the righteous requirement of law so that in the baby Jesus God has literally circumvented the corruption of human nature in the incarnation of God the Son John said it this way, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. The baby was in the beginning with God. In fact, when John the Baptist came and was preaching his baptism in the wilderness, he said, he that comes after me ranks before me because he has existed before me. And here, the existence before John, even though John was born before Jesus, the existence is from eternity past. Because God has come to earth in the form of human flesh, it is a mystery. We call it the Incarnation. The Latin there just literally means in the flesh. And John says, in the beginning was the Word. From, from before the universe exploded, 
From before there was anything, there was a word. The world tells us today that there was nothing in the beginning. And that you and I are nothing but an accident. We are nothing but time plus chance plus matter. We undermine morality and meaning and purpose and truth because if there is no God, there's nothing but darkness. There's nothing but emptiness. There's nothing but purposeless, meaningless existence. But John says different. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. Glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. As such, it is not our concern, nor should it be our concern, to explain the mystery of the Incarnation. It is a mystery how God, the fullness of deity, could possibly dwell in human flesh. But nonetheless, it is what the Bible testifies to. It's best at this point, instead of trying to explain how the fullness of deity can dwell bodily, to just simply say with the most maligned, one of the most maligned disciples in all of the Bible, doubting Thomas, when we see the risen Jesus proclaim, my Lord and my God. In Jesus, God has come to earth to dwell with man. God, the Son, is eternal God. That is to say, it is not a subtraction of His deity, but the addition of His humanity. The question we might ask is, why would God need to do this? Scripture tells us it's because God demands perfect righteousness from human beings. But we cannot fulfill the perfect righteousness that God requires of us, so God has sent His Son, very God of very God, to be our substitute on the cross. There are two options that we have as we stand before God. Either we stand before God in Adam, or we stand before God in Christ. But there's no other option. There's not a third option. My parents were very daring and they allowed my brother to teach me how to drive a car in Miami. And my brother has a unique way of putting things. Let's just say that. Yeah, Jerry has Facebook. And I remember there was this one time we were driving and we were coming to a traffic light. And I was, going, I was going so fast that had I stopped, it would have jerked us into the intersection. But I wasn't going fast enough to beat the yellow light. And I remember my brother panicked, looked at me and said, Dude, chocolate or vanilla? As if to say, 
stop or go, but you can't do both. You can't have both here. You either got to stop or you got to go, because if you stop, we're going to get crushed. If you, if, you, if you try and go in between, you're going to get crushed. There's, there's not another option. It's stop and it's go. It's one or the other. It's Adam or Jesus, but it's not both. God has come to earth in Jesus so that you and I can be in him and no longer in Adam. As human beings, we simply have two choices, God or Adam. No third option. No one can reject the corruption of Adam. Our bodies are corrupt and our souls are guilty. The curse of Adam is therefore death. And in Adam, death reigns. No one can escape that truth that we are all born of Adam's seed. But if we are in Christ and born a second time, the curse is overcome. And no longer does death reign, but now life reigns. Here's how Paul put it in Romans 5.17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through the one man, Jesus Christ. God has come to earth so that we might dwell in Him. An amazing thought. But why did he come? God came to give us the gift of salvation. He didn't come to teach us how to live a better life, to give us wise aphorisms, to make us healthy, wealthier, and wise, to make us rich. A lot of us come to God for those reasons. We come to God when we're at our worst or when we want something and we demand of Him to give us all of these inferior things that will never make us happy, that thieves will steal from us, that will be outdated in several years, several months, that will be corrupted and we beg God for this. And these things, and these gifts. And we don't ask for the incorruptible gift. Really the gift that we all want. At least when we're faced with the dire proposition of death. Namely eternal life. Stephanie works on an oncology floor. It's a very difficult place to work. She sees a lot of death, a lot of sickness. And the one story that rings true throughout every room is that every material possession that they've ever had, they give up for more life. And God has given us the gift of eternal life in His Son. 
Romans 6.23 says this, But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. When I read this, I thought, why does he say free gift? You notice the way we give gifts in, a, in America? You receive a gift from someone, you immediately feel obligated to give them a gift, don't you? Oh, don't. You're almost at the point where you're like, I just hope I don't get anything and we just call this Christmas a wash. And if they give you a $50 gift, you can't give them a $20 gift. You got to give them back a better gift. That's the way we give gifts. They're not even real gifts. Because a real gift is just a gift. It's an unearned gift. You don't want to get anything in return for it. Paul says, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a free gift. He doesn't want anything in return from it. It's a gift. Salvation. Eternal life is a gift. And we can have it at any moment. Paul tells us that God gives a free gift. But whenever you hear this phrase, free gift, we automatically think cheap and worthless. Oh, you want to come to my seminar? There's going to be a free gift if you come. Great. It's going to be a t-shirt that publicizes your seminar. A pencil, a coffee mug that I'll throw away. You think cheap, right? This gift isn't cheap. It's a precious gift. I can't imagine giving away my son. Even for people I love. Let alone for people I hate. And let alone for people who hate me. Free is only a one-way concept because it costs God something very dear to Him. For God, salvation is anything but free. Salvation costs God His Son, Christ His life. But it really cost us nothing. God doesn't want your money or your good works or your approval. The most despicable reality of the church was the very consequence that led to the Reformation that the Catholic Church would preach that you could buy your way into heaven. What a corruptible thing. It's a gift. Could you imagine if you gave somebody a gift, if you worked your entire year to give somebody a precious gift, and when you gave it to them, they said, well, let me, let me get my wallet out. I don't want your money. It's not the point of this gift. The gift is to give it to you. I want to show you I love you. I don't want you to buy it from me. And you can't earn this. Here it is. Take it. And from God, it's his son. What a gift. Paul says, it's by grace that you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. Your salvation is a gift of God. It's not a result of your works so that no one can boast. You can't earn it. If you can earn it, it's not a gift. Despite the fallacious doctrine of all other world religions, salvation cannot be earned. Salvation is either received as a gracious gift of God or it's not received at all. 
so then, we're left with a choice. A lot of people have brought me gifts. And not one of them have I said, no, I don't want your gift. Especially when it's cremas. Some of you are acting like you don't know what cremas is. But not one of them have I said no. Romans 10, 9 says this. Here's how you receive the gift of God. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. When you were a child and someone brought you a gift and you were standing next to one of your parents, your mother would do what? She would either pinch you or she would nudge you and she would say what? She would say what? Say thank you. Some of you weren't saying anything. Maybe some of us don't understand that when we are given gifts, there's an appropriate response. Say thank you. There's a way to receive the gift. And for God, the way to receive the gift is simply this. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. You'll be saved. The deal is this. Just bring me your sins. All of them. Bring me your past sins. Bring me your current sins. Hope in the future, forgiveness of your future sins and lay them at my cross and I'll forgive you. I'll give you a gift. Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and you'll receive the gift. This leaves us then with a choice this morning. In the light of the reality of death, this moment of gift giving, I want us to search our hearts and ask ourselves this question. Have I received the free gift of salvation in Christ? Many of us say that we're saved, but true salvation is always accompanied by living a life that pleases God and many of us doubt our salvation because our life is not consistent with being saved you see Jesus doesn't just give us a gift and not tell us how to use it John 8 12 says I am the light of the world Jesus says and whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life so we have a choice for this gift. God comes to earth, God gives a gift, and he doesn't walk away and not tell us how to use that gift. But he comes with light. And he says, as I am in the light, if you are in me, you too will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This morning I want to offer to everyone here the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus. No tricks. No gimmicks, no lies. God says in his word, in a favorable time I listened to you and in a day of salvation I have helped you.
The favorable time is this moment where you're hearing the gospel preached. Many countries, there is not an opportunity to preach openly and to proselytize openly of the great gift of God's salvation. And so God says, behold, now is the favorable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. No one knows the moment of their death. God has not guaranteed to any of us a single minute past this moment. It is important then that we acknowledge the seriousness of the hour. In the quietness of our sanctuary this morning, ask yourself the question, have I received the gift of salvation in Christ Jesus? If you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, and you feel God's Spirit leading you this morning to receive this gift of salvation, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to encourage you to pray a prayer with me. Pray it in your own spirit. You want to pray it out loud. You pray it out loud. There is no magical formula But I want to pray so that you might know how to respond and receive the gift God has given you. God, I am a sinner. No more lying to you, no more lying to myself. I know I am a sinner. Father, this morning I acknowledge that I have nothing to give you. You don't want my money. You don't want my good works. You don't want my approval. Lord, what you want from me is faith in your Son, Jesus Christ. I confess now with my mouth my faith in Jesus Christ. I confess that Jesus has died for my sins that he was buried, that he raised from the dead and now intercedes on my behalf so that I too might be raised to eternal life. Forgive me of my sins, Father. Place me in Christ so that I might receive the gift of salvation. If you prayed that prayer this morning and you want to talk more about salvation in Christ and how to grow in the gospel, I would love to speak with you after our sermon. And I'll be down front. Glory to God in the highest, and peace on earth, and goodwill to all men. Amen.